You're listening to a podcast appearing on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. This is the Versus Machine Podcast, a comparison of great things. The Versus Machine takes on two works of art, one source material and one adaptation, and processes it through to discover the differences and similarities of the two. Whether those differences are good or bad is up to you. After all, it's what happens when you transform one medium into another. It's time to engage the Versus Machine. And welcome to the Versus Machine Podcast. I'm Joseph Burge. And I'm Richard Gibson. And we are here today to process two more items through our Versus Machine and let you know about the similarities and differences between them. Because the Versus Machine is all about education. Education of the source, of the adaptation, and of what happens when you take something and change it from one medium to another. But we've got a lot of ground to cover today, so we're going to go straight into today's topic. Earlier this season, we did Watchmen by Alan Moore, which you can find over at VersusMachine.com. Now, in keeping with that tradition, we wanted to do another Alan Moore one for the end of the season so that we can wrap up with at least two graphic novels, because both Richard and I are fans of the idea that literature is not simply in just print form. So we thought, what better way to do that than to go with one of his set almost, it's actually almost more popular, and that's V for Vendetta. Now, keep in mind, neither Richard nor I had been exposed to V from Vendetta in a very large scale at all, because neither of us had read it before, and Richard hadn't even seen the movie. I didn't even know who Guy Fawkes nor V for Vendetta were until a few months ago, actually. So, in entering into this, we decided that we had to do two things in order to make this successful. Number one, we were going to destroy all preconceived notions we had about V for Vendetta and about its impact on how things work in the world today and in the world back then. Because today, even today, we still see the effects of V for Vendetta creeping into lots of different things and events that yeah. still happen. Yeah. You were speaking recently about a gay rights parade yep. where they were wearing Guy Fox masks. I only saw one person wearing it, but yeah, on it was on November 5th. They had the march in Illinois to... Helps sway the vote for the gay marriage, which did end up passing. And while Guy Fawkes was an important figure in British history, he's not an important figure in our history by any means. He was brought over here simply because of V for Vendetta. And the idea of V wearing the Guy Fawkes mask is actually more popular than Guy Fawkes himself. (laughs) It really is. And he's become sort of a symbol of fighting against oppression. Now, both Richard and I, after having seen both and reading both, just our little side note before we start, neither one of us agree that this novel has anything to do with fighting against oppression. It has to do with fighting against tyranny on a level that's completely separate from the way that most of the populace tries to use it. Mm-hmm. So this is going and to be... In- from how the original Guy Fox did it. So this is going to be interesting no matter what. Now, <laughs> with that... There are more than one adaptation of shows. It's the 2005 version that was directed by James McTeague and starred Hugo Weaving, Agent Smith, as V, and Queen Amidala, Natalie Portman, as Evie. And it was kind of a mix that was thrown together and made into this mesh that neither Richard nor I are sure understands the book more than most of the people out there. <laughs> but without further ado, we're going to get right into it. So let's start with some characters. V. 
In the book, V is a flawless mastermind. In the movie, V is an unstable anarchist. Reading through the book, the reader doesn't really know what V's going for. In the first couple chapters, I'm like, yeah, this this is an interesting superhero. He's giving people self-esteem and giving them a story and not having one for himself. But I don't really know what he's trying to do. I don't know what his goal is. But as the story unfolds, it's clear that he knew what he was doing before the book even opened. He knew what his goal was, how he was going to get there. And everything was perfectly orchestrated just as he wanted it to go. In the movie, it was kind of the opposite. Yeah. While Hugo Weaving did very well to portray V and his voice and his mannerisms yep. quite well, it seemed more like the writing of the movie lended itself to be complete chaos and anarchy the entire time. We weren't yeah. sure what V was trying to do. We weren't sure what the goal was. Mm -hmm. And frankly, we weren't sure that anyone else in the movie knew what the goal was either. It was right. kind of just a hodgepodge of different events that led into almost nothing. Yeah, when V first shows himself in the movie, it's the same scene where he saves Evie, but then he goes on this like minute and a half tangent of using every V word in the dictionary to kind of explain himself, sort of what he's going for, and sort of what the uh, state of affairs is in London at the moment. The The emphasis on the letter, which we'll talk about later, is is also very present in the book, but just the way that scene runs in the movie, he comes off as completely unstable. That he just has some bizarre obsession with this letter, and he's just crazy. You and, never get that in the book. In, in the movie, I think, versus the book, the book, he has a ranting that is similar to what happens in the movie, but it's more understandable. Yeah. If you actually break down his rant line by line, you can understand what he's saying. Right. If you break down his rant line by line in the movie, it almost just seems like he's insane and babbling yes. to himself while he's killing people. Yeah, pretty much. And I think... The V and both kind of build into something completely different. I yeah. would say that the V in the book is far less emotional than the V in the movie. By far. And I'm not sure I'm not sure that either one is better. I'm just it's very different in how he grows as a person in the book and how he grows as a person in the movie. He's very flat in the book. He gets Well, he he's gets, just already done growing yeah he, he gets, already knows what he's going he for. gets he's development between him and evie but as a person he doesn't develop a lot Not in the much. movie we actually see him develop and change it seems yes. like and it's a really different kind of dichotomy especially between him and evie how things work in both of them yeah and i think he seems much more poised and has a bigger plan in the book than he does in the movie because yeah, especially with not destroying Jordan Tower in the movie it seems like he has less of an idea where he wants to go and it lends him to this idea that maybe he's not as smart as you, you give him credit for when you first meet yeah, him right. whereas in the book it's definitely assumed he's just as smart as you gave him credit for yeah he's a genius he's outsmarting everyone hacking into systems and being able to do things and leave no trace nobody can find him it's like stuff's just happening and we can't do anything about it because he's smarter than us however even though he's more emotional in the movie i think he's more sympathetic in the book because they don't yeah, play on his right. past as much in the movie as they do in the book i think right. his past is much more put together and more you know whole in the book than it is in the movie and i think it makes him a more sympathetic character in the book evie hammond in the book, Evie is a convenient successor. In the movie, Evie is a lovesick victim. 
when the book opens, Evie's getting ready to go out and try to proposition somebody. And V's going out to really just seems like do some adventuring. And, and it doesn't, he comes across her sort of accidentally. He's just out to go to his, to do his thing. And she's there. And he's like, you know, she's just going to get killed in a really bad way. So I'm going to intervene and save her. And I can't really let her go anymore. So I'm just going to take her in. And it just, he's able to build her into what he needs as a successor for someone to to take his his mask and his mantle once he passes and that that's really about all she is in the movie it's more like she's a victim of circumstance it's more like she's just kind of there she ends up falling in love with v it seems like by the end of her and by the end of the movie Mm -hmm. and it just seems like there's so much coincidence in everything and especially and it makes very little sense especially in a story that even in the movie says there is no such thing as coincidence it seems the whole thing's kind of coincidental yeah whereas in the book and this is one of the theories that circles around while alan morris said v is not actually evie's father a lot of people think that there's something kind of sinister in the way that that v chose evie long before he met her and i don't agree or disagree with that but i think it's it seems more planned in the book than it does in the movie i think she seems more like she's just kind of there in the movie not only that i feel like her character is so much weaker in the movie than it is in the book because i feel like she doesn't learn as much it doesn't give her as much reason to succeed him as it does in the book where it still seems kind of like she's succeeding him in the end of the movie. It doesn't it's seem like clear. she's learned very much and it doesn't seem like a lot of the lessons that Evie as a person, because she is a central tenant of the point that's going on, the kind of transformation from scared to brave yes, yeah. to the acceptance of freedom is a big part of who she is in the book and in the movie i just don't see that at all not as much I, it's it's funny that you say she's what you were saying about her in the movie because in the book she she really doesn't she has no idea what's going on v's basically talking over her around her and she doesn't generally get any of it she does eventually but it takes a long time she she understands it all at the end but pretty much until he V dies. She has no idea what he's talking about. Pretty much at all. Uh, even right before he dies, in the book, yeah. she has no idea. She's screaming at him. Uh, <laughs> pretty close to the end of the book, she's she's screaming at him about crosswords and how he speaks in riddles and and yeah. words from the jukebox. Right. And I, but I think her inner monologue at the end of the book shows that she really understands oh, yeah. everything that happened. Right. Whereas in the movie, I don't think i really get the idea that she understands anything i think it's just kind of like well whatever i'm gonna do this now too right but when she came in in the movie he would quote things to her and she knew where they were from whereas in the book nobody had read any of that stuff so she had no clue what he was saying Mm -hmm. she didn't even know if he was quoting someone or not until later after she had been reading some of those and some of those stories of shakespeare and whatnot and hearing some of the songs and she's like oh that's just another stupid quote but i still don't know what you're talking about and and in i the movie, she knew the quotes but we still don't feel like she actually understood them. she just knew where they came from and weird. i and i mentioned this to you before a big part of what i think is weird about the movie is in the movie she has a life she has yeah. a job yep. a place to live mm-hmm. all of that in the book we get none of that no she is literally a totem of what i think more's you know, central point is about a person who's lost completely all of their identity 
and the ability to fight against anything that's wrong. And I think in the movie, it's that central totem isn't there. That central issue is not there because she has a life in the movie. He just kind of is somebody. Yeah, she she he just kind of comes in and screws up her whole life in the movie. (laughs) And in the book, she has no life. When he finds her, she's literally a prostitute. That's trying to be yeah, and that's going to get raped and. She never mentions her home. Mm-hmm. She barely mentions her parents. Yeah. And even when she escapes him at one point, she doesn't go home. She goes to live with some random man she meets at, you know, near a club. Yeah. So I... It is, it is very different. Finch. In the book, Finch is a plot device that's the means to the end. In the movie, Finch is the opposite side to almost everything V does. Eric Finch is the same character between the the book and the movie, but in the book he he's very slowly piecing everything together. He finds um, Delia's journal, and he's reading through it, and he's he feels like he's on the edge of understanding it, but he's like, I don't really know if I want to understand this, because he eventually goes to Lark Hill, the um, basically concentration camp. Takes the LSD. Takes the LSD for some bizarre reason. He's like, I just need to understand V. I need to get in his head. And that freaks me out because this guy's crazy. But I have to, so I guess I'll take some LSD that I just find at Lark Hill. That's an extremely ill-advised thing to do. He's oh, yeah. going to pop some random pills. It's four too many. It's four too few. Whatever, I'm going to take it. He starts you know, going nuts, but it does actually work for him. Knowing after reading Delia's journal and then taking the LSD, being at Lark Hill, you know, he's looking at the ovens. He's like, yeah, these were people ovens. Yeah, I, I really can't wrap my brain around that. Would I have joined the party had I known they were doing this? Yeah, probably. There was nothing else going on. I had to. But and he, doesn't, I, he doesn't really want to, to see those things. And I actually disagree with you that he's the same person in both the book and the movie. Well, because he's stronger in the movie. I, I don't even think he's stronger in the movie. I think he's a completely different person. I think... The the difference in the plot between the book and the movie make him a different person. In the in the movie, he turns into a conspiracy theorist by the end of it, who literally is like a champion against tyranny of the leader by the end of it. In the book, he goes insane, shoots V, comes back, tells everyone he shoots him, and runs away. In the movie, by the end of it, it's just kind of like, well, you know, it's it's over now. <laughs> Yeah, and he joins Evie, maybe? Yeah, and yeah, it, it's... It wasn't as clear. It, it's really... He's really a different person in both of them because in the movie, you get this feeling like he's an actual police officer. He oh, actually yeah. solves crimes. Right, in he the, knows what he's it, doing. In he's the, good at it. In the book, you get this feeling like he's just kind of this figurehead guy that yeah, they appoint there. Yeah, Because he finds the journal. Like, before that, he only had vague guesses as to what was going on. And he's definitely a means to the end in the book. I mean, he reveals the entire story through the LSD trip mm-hmm. and then he ends up killing V in the end of the book. He yeah. ends the entire thing by killing V and sets about the mo- sets about a motion of events that ends up basically killing everyone. The thing is though to say that he killed V is sort of inaccurate because V basically let it happen. I mean, yes, he was the one who shot him perhaps like 5 times, but I guess it wasn't like I guess he overpowered to a truth he didn't put he didn't put up a fight no no but I would say that he's a monumentally more important character in the movie than he is in the book yeah and that goes to one of the things that we were talking about before where a lot of the characters in the book blend together yeah 
And that that has to do with the artwork. It's not that the artwork's bad. It's dark and it fits the tone. But it very, very much all of the people look extremely similar and they Mm -hmm. blend together. Yeah. So when when you were asking me for the outline in the in the book Finch's, I'm like, I don't remember who Finch is. I remembered the guy who did what Finch did. I just didn't know that was his name because I mean, maybe that's partially me reading it the first time. But I think it's also the artwork, which we'll get to. But we want to know what you think. Did you think a lot of the characters blended together? Could you, if you've read the book, could you even tell which one was Finch? <laughs> Did you think Finch was more important in the movie than the book? Let us know by heading to versusmachine.com, clicking that contact button in the right top-hand corner of the page, and filling out the quick contact form, or heading over to facebook.com slash versusmachine and seeing what we have there. Adam Susan Adam Sutler. In the book, Adam Susan is the example of how absolute power affects someone. In the movie, Adam Sutler is literally just there to yell at Creedy. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, he's called the leader in the book. And he's called the high chancellor in the movie. Yeah, which has an incredibly different connotation. But just the le- in the book, just the leader, he's sitting at his big computer terminal, which is supposed to give him feeds... Uh, from a lot of the different cameras that are stationed throughout London. And he's, you know, he's just making decisions, really fairly cruel ones about, you know, oh, if there's looters, just cap them. Yeah, I mean, whatever, just ruthlessly kill people. And he has this really weird, well, an attempted love affair, because it doesn't work, with, with either fate or the machine. He seems to basically see them as one. So it's kind of hard to tell which one he's actually infatuated with, but it's really awkward. He's like proclaiming his love to the machine, asking forgiveness from it. It's really kind of confusing. So the fact he had all that power, he's like, at the beginning, I don't need to be loved. I just need to be respected and feared. And I am respected and feared. So that's cool that I'm not loved. And in the end, it's completely reversed. So he has all this power, but it doesn't exactly mean a whole lot because nobody likes him because he's in love with the machine and it's very confusing in the movie he really doesn't have a point he doesn't really control anything except for to yell at everyone and tell them what to do that they're all failing and it's not like it's not like a terrible thing because you know it's it's john hurt and he's a nice actor and he does it quite well yeah he, he comes off as quite menacing yeah but he just they didn't write a character for him and so he ends up being kind of just there to push Creedy over the edge, which ends up with Creedy betraying and helping V, which ends up with, you know, it all turning sour from yeah, the, from the very much. end of the movie. And so it really doesn't it really doesn't have a whole lot of a point. But in the book, one of the things that strikes me is, you know, the biggest thing is he's really a example of what I think Alan Moore tries to say about absolute power. Because he goes so totally insane. And part of it's V hacks into that computer and starts screwing with his emotions with the computer. Yeah, putting and up part of it says, I love you on all the screens. And just yeah. for like a second, he's like, did I really see that? Does, the, does fate, the machine, really love me? And part of it, I, I think, know. is he just gets to a point where he can't go any higher in power. But he's so lonely because he's the only one. He doesn't have a wife, it seems like. He doesn't, he doesn't have kids. He's just this lonely guy at the very top who... People keep coming in and trying to brief, and it seems like every time you see him, he goes further and further into a madness. And I think, in my opinion, that's what power does to people after a while. You get so consumed by having it all that you just go insane. 
And we see that happen a lot in our society, too, where people who get a lot of power seemingly go kind of wonkily insane. <laughs> yeah, they're not not quite as stable anymore. And I think it's a big deal, especially in the kind of the connotation and the theme of the book, mm -hmm. to show that absolute power kind of screws you up. Yeah. There's no emotionally or mentally stable dictators. It just doesn't doesn't happen. And now we're going to move on to some minor characters. The five senses of the government. <laughs> yeah, I found that a rather intriguing notion that there's every time you see it, it's a little bit easier to picture in the movie because there's just this huge screen with Adam Sutler's face and then there's five people. There's uh, the finger, the eye, the voice, the mouth, and the nose. And they all inform him, they all inform the leader, the high chancellor, about different aspects of what's going on in London. In the movie, they make it into a big deal. But in the book, we get back to this idea that everyone kind of blends together. Yeah. You're not really sure what some of these people do at certain points. And right. you're not really sure why they're there. The yeah. nose, you and I can't even figure out who runs. the. You and I had a hard time figuring out who even runs the nose. Yeah. Because we he it was such like a downplayed thing that we didn't even know what the nose did. We barely could. It would sniff things out, but the finger could do the same thing as well. So I, I don't really know how. It's an interesting idea of giving the government the five human senses, but I don't really know how those differentiate so much. And the voice was very clear what that was. It was the friggin' radio station. That's very clear. And it, and I liked it much better as a radio station in the book than I did as a television station in the movie. I think it just wasn't as as powerful. They were trying to update. A story that I, w I would really say wouldn't would didn't really need any updating. Number no. one and number two, in modern times, I think it would all go completely differently. Right. There's a there's great there's vast differences in the the London of the book and the London of the movie, which then is why it is a TV station as opposed to a radio station. And I just I have a lot of problems with the senses of the government because they seem like they're supposed to be important minor characters and they there are a lot of the you know their wives and the the way that they all interact and the fact yeah. that they start dying at certain points is important to V's plan but it seems like them as people with the exception of Finch and Creedy uh don't really play a whole lot of a point in mm -hmm. some things that happen and it's very hard to tell one person from another one because of the way they're drawn yeah, the the five senses, I mean, again, interesting idea, but it doesn't it wouldn't have to be that way. It could just be any just any random leaders in the government because V was just picking them off to dismantle the government. So they really could have been anybody. We as you were saying, we don't need to we don't get, but we don't really need them their their histories. We don't need their backstories. They don't really need to have a personality because they're just some sort of pillar of the government that needs to be taken out. We get a little bit of on Prothero and him collecting his, dolls, his doll which is which by far the the book is not funny by any means of the imagination. But no. that scene is hilarious. Yeah, where he dress dresses up the dolls as prisoners and burns them. And burn them. Yeah, it wasn't. Nice it wasn't. It wasn't. There. It wasn't supposed to be humorous. But when you think about it, Bunch dolls it was. It was kind of humorous the way that they played. They played it out for him. Yeah. So. So we get a little backstory on him, but we don't on anybody else. But we also don't needed so much but i think it might have been nice to get that but what do you think did we miss any characters that you liked were you just mad that with a priest wasn't there 
Were you really angry about yeah. some of the people we missed? <laughs> Let us know by heading over to versusmachine.com and filling out that contact button at the top right-hand corner of the page. Head over to facebook.com forward slash versus machine and write on our wall and let us know what you think. Artwork and cinematography. As we've said in a few times before with the book, the, the artwork is very dark. It fits for the theme of the story um, that London is a very dark place at this point full of despair, the exact opposite of what we saw in the Oliver movie in our some of our previous London's podcasts. changed a lot. London's I changed mean. a lot in just like, well, about... In Oliver the Musical, it's pretty happy. <laughs> Everybody's this, poor and happy there. Right. In this, it's the exact opposite. There's nothing. There's nothing good, at really at all. Even the club where everyone tries to have a good time, nobody exactly really is. So the the art is very good at setting the atmosphere, but it's not very good for letting us figure out what's going on, because all the characters kind of they visually blend in. Now that I'm looking back at it, looking at Finch, yeah, he's got. You know, he's a little larger. He's got a very different hairline than the others, but they just end up blending in because half the time you don't even see their full face anyway. In the movie, I think it's a lot brighter. I think things are oh, yeah. a lot brighter. Yeah. It almost seems happy, and it's kind of strange That's because right. it's not a happy story at all. No, and no. the the story that the movie paints is completely different than the story that the book paints mm-hmm. with, the, with the virus being let out on the populace to yeah. control them and everything else. It seems kind of like a stranger London in the movie than it is in the book. Mm-hmm. However... It's brighter. It seems happier somehow. Like, people are just happy to be subjugated. Maybe. And I think V makes a point in the book that tells us it's not happy to be subjugated. And the darker artwork is a big deal there. And Mm -hmm. I kind of... I can kind of see the point of making everyone look the same. Because essentially, the point's made in the book how everyone kind of looks exactly the same and thinks exactly the same because they're yeah. sheep they're all just kind of following orders yeah following the leader that they've let come into power and i can see symbolically how that's important but i think in the book it distracts a little, mo- bit. A little more than it does in the movie because in the movie you can clearly see who everyone is right. and in the book you can't and I think it distracts from the character development of anyone in the a book yeah. that you can't see what happens to them. Right, because they, they say Creed's doing this or Dazcom's doing that and I'm like, I really can't remember who they are. And that was kind of a problem. And then we're going to next we're going to move on to settings. The Shadow Gallery. In the book, the Shadow Gallery is a trove of forbidden media. In the movie, the Shadow Gallery is a misnamed lover's den. With the artwork throughout the whole graphic novel is dark. In the Shadow Gallery, it may as well most of the time just be V and Evie just talking against a black background because of how dark it is. It's the Batcave. It's the Batcave, almost. The difference is that there's, instead of huge uh, vehicles and whatnot, there's paintings. And a jukebox. And a big piano and a dance floor. He's even got a disco ball. <laughs> Everything is a little... It's quite unusual, but he's just enjoying all the media that's been censored. But, I mean, it's very dark, so it, the shadow, it's dark. The gallery, there's a there's an art gallery. It's very aptly named in the book. In Not the, so in the movie, though. In the movie, it's 
really is like a lover's den. It's very bright and cheerful, Mm -hmm. and they play all these love songs on the jukebox, and when they're together, they're watching love movies, and it's just, just it's a really bright kind of place for someone who's supposed to be a completely tortured soul bent on revenge because of what of what a bunch of people in charge did to him and his country. Yeah, the shadow gallery. There's like no shadows anywhere. It would be the light gallery, if anything. Oh, right. I mean, he even cooks the the girl, you know, <laughs> eggs in the morning, and it, it's it's all really kind of yeah. strange for something that's supposed to be called the shadow gallery. Right. And it's a different. It's a it's a seriously different. It comes back to that dichotomy between Evie. And V, where it's a really different place for a really different relationship between yes. two people. Yeah. I Had I not read the book, watching the movie, it's like, oh, this is my home, the Shadow Gallery. I'd be like, why, why are you calling it that? I mean, what's... Because he's dark and mysterious. Sort of? And he has a gravelly voice. <laughs> right. I don't know. It's just, just bizarre. But yeah, very different place for the different relationship, as you said. London. In both, London is a dark and depressing place. It's The colors are brighter in the movie, but it is, it's not... There's still a whole bunch of bad stuff going on pretty much constantly. And you, so it's still not nice. You feel depressed in the movie. You just don't feel it as hard as you do the book. Correct. You're, you, you feel bad for these people being subjugated, and you almost feel angry at this conspiracy that's going on. But you don't feel as sad as you do in the book because it's it, it, the colors are so much more lush right. and bright and they're not dull. Yeah, that, but London, a, lot. a London is still very much a dark place in both, and it's kind of like this place where dreams go to die. <laughs> well, no, you never have them to begin with. I suppose you're 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 brought up, and that brings up and London London brings up one of those interesting things that you and I both said. It is never mentioned in the book about schools or what they do with their kids or anything yeah. like that. It's never mentioned about anything having to do with it. In the in the movie, they mentioned schools because they mentioned the virus was set off in a school. Yeah. But in the book, it's never mentioned whether children are educated or anything happens to them whatsoever. Well, all that matters is that you stay in line with the government, so your education is probably largely irrelevant. And but it, but it is an interesting point to note that that we don't see that side of people at all. Well, we don't see children too much. Well, we see girl. we see the one girl with the thick glasses. Yeah, yeah. but that's who that's spells the it. word bollocks wrong. So obviously her education <laughs> can't be too great. Good. No. Okay. Let's move on to symbols next. The letter V. In the book, the letter V is freedom. In the movie, the letter V is unclear. It's called V for Vendetta. The guy's name is V. He was stuck in room five, room numeral V. The letter V is all over the book. All the chapters are a word that starts with the letter V. He has that one uh, Latin phrase that's five words that all start with the letter V. It's it's everywhere, and it, it's just the symbol of V, the main character. In the movie, it's really not clear whether it's a symbol or not. A lot of things resonate with V in the letter five, and his name is is V, yeah. and he says a lot of words that begin with V, but it's not really clear whether that's a symbol for anything or he's or just kind of a maniac who's obsessed with the letter V. Yeah, especially, as I was saying before, when he enters his first, his opening, his first scene, going on for literally 90 seconds about this, it, it, does, it comes off as he's just unstable, so it's, yeah, right, is it a symbol or is it an obsession? Really, and, you can't tell. And I think 
there's a power that's missing in the movie versus the book because of the letter V not being as prominent as a symbol because it really becomes synonymous with every time you see the letter V, you're looking for it because you yeah. know that the letter V is always attached to something important that's about to happen. It's almost yeah. a foreshadowing in the book, whereas in the movie, you don't get that kind of no. you don't get that kind of foreshadowed feeling. Right. And it's, it's signature. I, I mean, they could have. The movie, it's it's very visual. They could have very easily made made it a, a very visual symbol. Just put it in places or something. But I but it's just lost in the movie. And it's and it's sad. It's sad to see that it's lost. And it's sad to see that it's not there. And it's kind of hard to have that missing and mm -hmm. still come away with the same theme. Yeah. Lady Justice. In the book, Lady Justice is a launching point. In the movie, Lady Justice is barely mentioned. Pretty much the entire fifth chapter in the book is either the leader talking to to fate or, and looking at Lady Justice as he does so, or V basically calling her a whore and then blowing her up. It's a very important point in the book because V's saying things like, I have a new mistress. Her name is Anarchy. She has taught me more as a mistress than you ever did. Uh, she's taught me that justice is meaningless without freedom. She's honest. He, he makes... It's a very long speech, and it's a very important thing. It, it lets you know what V's getting at because you've gone four chapters, not really very sure, and in this fifth chapter, he tells you what's going on using Lady Justice as the backdrop, but it's very different in the movie. In the movie, he talks about her in the very beginning when he tells bit. Evie that he's a conductor, <laughs> and then he blows her up, mm -hmm. and then we never hear about it again, yeah. ever. Right, he, he's like, here's, a, we're, ha we're gonna have a big symphony in honor of her vacation, <laughs> because she's taken leave of our country, so let's, you know, let's send her off real well. And then he blows, and then he her, blows up. her up. And that's it. It was a, it was a funny little line, but, and it's, and but it's that a, was it. it. It's left lacking. It's something it lacking, yeah. that, that it's different between the two of them, and it's where... It's where the movie more seems like it's for anarchy than the book does because yes. it's missing that idea of justice because he literally just blows her up and it's over. Whereas yeah. in the in the book, he makes a big deal about how she's a whore and yeah. she's betrayed him because yeah. the the value of justice is just gone. Right. And it's 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 a huge deal, mm -hmm. and it's just missing completely in the movie. Right. I, we get to see in the book the difference between the leader. Looking at Lady Justice calling her fate, saying saying these things about her, and then V is looking at the same you know blind lady with the scales and the sword, and he has this completely different thing to say about her. So we're we're able to see the difference between how things are and how V wants to change them. You know, the first four chapters are kind of just a prologue, and then the fifth really is that launching point for the rest of the theme of the book. And it's just it's something that you just don't get in the movie and no it may as well have just not been there and i don't understand why they put it in there at all or maybe it was just an illusion that they wanted to make but i just don't understand why it's missing and we're going to take a break here on the versus machine podcast this is paul's tree service a person is calling through relay missouri this is operator. Uh, thanks, but we're not interested. Who is that? Uh, just one of those annoying telemarketers. Wrong. You just hung up on a customer. One who wanted to spend money with your business. A customer who happens to be deaf, hard of hearing, or who has a speech disability. Calling you through Relay Missouri. 
Relay Missouri is a free service that allows people who are deaf, hard of hearing, or who have a speech disability to communicate over the telephone with you and your business. Don't hang up. This could be new business. For more information on Relay Missouri, take a minute to log on to RelayMissouri.com and open the door to a whole new group of customers. Become part of a growing community that is silent but can speak volumes for your business. Relay Missouri brings the hearing and deaf, hard of hearing, and people with speech disabilities together at no charge with no sign-up and no monthly fee. Log on to RelayMissouri.com and find out how you can start communicating with these new customers today. Fighting isn't just something I was doing when I was a kid. It's followed me into adulthood. Not so much the beatdowns at work or finishing off bullies that scratch my car. I'm Mike Wilkerson. I'm hosting Two Guys Talking MMA, a completely original perspective review podcast detailing the events showcased on Fox Sports 1's The Ultimate Fighter. Join me and my co-host, MMA's Adam Sella, and a literal cavalcade of guest fighters, promoters, and more, where we'll talk about the show, the fighters, the fights, and more. It's a completely different flavor of fight review, and it's only from two guys talking. Witness the carnage, the perspectives, and fun at twoguystalkingmma.com. That's twoguystalkingmma.com. Looking for a straightforward user interface and a cost-effective, feature-filled, multi-track recording software? Call off the search! Mixcraft from Acoustica has exactly what you're looking for. It's time to include reliable audio creation and editing software with real punch into your projects. Check out Mixcraft now over at acoustica.com forward slash Mixcraft and start a new generation of audio creation and editing today. Pinnacle Entertainment is a dynamic and growing casino entertainment company with nearly 15,000 team members. In 2013, Pinnacle Entertainment acquired Ameristar Casinos, expanding its portfolio to operate in nine states, with 16 locations, including 14 casinos and two racetracks. Pinnacle Entertainment's culture is guided by its values, integrity, care, excellence, innovation, and ownership. It's through these values that we fulfill our commitment to remain focused on doing the very best for our team members, guests, and shareholders. At Pinnacle Entertainment, the future is at the forefront. We focus on thoughtful organic growth in our existing locations and expanding our family of destinations by seeking new opportunities and partnerships. To learn more about Pinnacle Entertainment, visit pnkinc.com. Pinnacle Entertainment an official sponsor of the Two Guys Talking Poker podcast. Are you a vampire fan? How about werewolves? Then you're probably already watching True Blood on HBO, but are you listening to the review of each episode of True Blood via the Fangbanger podcast? Check out great point-by-point -point discussion that leaves you with a thirst for more. It's the Fangbanger podcast. Fangbangerpodcast.com that's fangbangerpodcast.com.
Welcome back to the Versus Machine Podcast. I'm Joseph Burge. I'm Richard Gibson. And today we're tackling V for Vendetta. Let's get back into symbols. The Roses. In the book, roses are death and resurrection. In the movie, roses are V's trademark. In the book, the particular strain of rose that V grows is called a Violet Carson. Before the war that really um, sets the tone, sets the events of the of the novel, Violet Carsons exist. They grow. There's you know it's just a nice, very special kind of rose. After the war, all the nukes, etc., the Violet Carsons are gone. They're figured to be extinct. When V returns or when V makes his particular presence known, he shows that there are still Violet Carsons. They're, they're a symbol of, of V bringing back justice, him bringing back freedom, him trying to restore our, our integrity. We kind of, we, we were losing the integrity, as his argument goes, when there were the Violet Carsons, then we completely lost our integrity. There were none. I'm here to bring back integrity, and the roses are a symbol of that. And in the movie... It's not really discussed anything about the roses except for he gives the roses to people he kills. After he, well, sometimes before, but also after. So yeah. it's, it's like he puts roses like the big yeah. Z. He just leaves a rose instead. And that's kind of it. Seems like that's his thing that he just leaves that's the roses, it. and they don't really talk about the roses or him growing the roses or anything no. like that. And again, it's one of those symbols where it's kind of strange when you don't put a back backstory to it it's just a little bit. it kind of makes him seem and this is this is definitely true it, they made him seem kind of like zorro in the in the yeah. movie instead versus the book it, it he was just kind of this invincible guy in the movie who left roses and rescued women and fell in love and <laughs> tried to you know free the populace it was all yeah. kind of strange yeah. in the book you don't get that at all you don't get the backstory and one of the most powerful passages in the entire book in my opinion is when he takes evie into the rose room yep. and he talks to her and he says cut a rose if you cut a rose i will go kill the man that killed gordon your lover mm-hmm. and it's like that's all you have to do it says it's just plucking a rose that's no big thing it's as easy as it is irrevocable and it's a really powerful passage yeah, to that's, me. That's it's a very a, interesting line he and, right there. And it's a powerful passage yeah. for everything that happens in the book mm-hmm. and how he talks about how doing everything he does is just as easy as picking a rose. Yeah. And it's just as irrevocable. Right, because you can't put it back on. The rose is going to die after you pick it. And I think the roses, to me, give him some sort of especially in the book where he's not a romantic, it gives him a romantic quality. But not the I'm falling head over heels in love with you and it's changing my life. It gives him a it's romantic a comedy romance. that's sympathy. It's a sympathetic romantic quality. It's it's the idea that he does have some sort of feelings, whether we can view them or not, yeah. he has some sort of feelings. Right. And the fact that and having it tied all together with Valerie and the letter that he received when he was in room five from room four with the lesbian of Valerie mm-hmm. and... Tying that all together gives him this kind of sympathetic nature that had it not been there, you would probably not sympathize or feel you could, you know, empathize with V half as much as you do. Yeah, right. Because otherwise he might just come off as just some dude with a mask who just likes blowing stuff up. But no, he's bringing these roses back. He's trying to bring beauty back into the world. And the integrity part that you mentioned is is a huge deal. And it's something Only in the that... Book, though. Really? And it... I, 
I'm not saying that it's good or bad, but it's just lacking in the movie. Yeah. It's that kind of punch that, and it's the same thing we saw with Watchmen yeah. in our previous our previous podcast about Watchmen, where we're seeing kind of part of the drain of the whole point out of the yeah. story, and yeah, the points lost, right? It's it's really sad. It really is. <laughs> the mask. In both the book and the movie, the mask is kind of this eggmatic thing that gets a little bit of play, but not much. In the movie, they make it very clear that the mask is the symbol of Guy Fawkes. It's the mm-hmm. symbol of freedom from oppression, which, and you were talking about Guy Fawkes and how crazy the whole Guy Fawkes thing is to begin with. The gunpowder plot. The This king said he would give us persecuted Catholics some more leniency. He didn't. So let's blow him, his most of his family, and all of Parliament up so we can install his, like, nine-year-old daughter as queen. That's crazy. You know, assassinating the dude who isn't, who's in charge, who's not doing what he said he would do, I can sympathize with that. I obviously don't agree with it, but I can at least see where that's coming from. But then wanting to install a nine-year-old is just something I can't really wrap my mind around. She's nine. We can... She's malleable. We can manipulate her into the leader we want. But still, that's just crazy. So, I don't know. The whole gunpowder plot, they were all nuts, in my opinion. And that's what the movie focuses on is the gunpowder plot, whereas the book— But it makes them all out to be brilliant heroes who just unfortunately failed. But in the book, they talk a little bit about it. They kind of mention it. Just a little. And then it's never really mentioned again. And so the mask just literally becomes a symbol of V. And a symbol of V V hiding his face and everything else. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of this strange thing where I don't feel like Guy Fawkes, it's a Guy Fawkes mask at that point. It's V's mask. Right. And I think a lot of of times, especially in today's society, that's where we get this whole V for Vendetta with the mask thing is because the book... Which maybe not everybody's read, but it's 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 more tailored in the book that that's V's mask. It's not Guy Fawkes's mask. But in the movie, I feel like it's Guy Fawkes's mask. Yeah, I think with the graphic novel, it being written by someone in London for people in London, they would probably just see it and already know what it is. They wouldn't need it explained to them. It would be like if there was some new American superhero and he had a George Washington or an Abe Lincoln mask. We would, we would be able to know what that means without anybody saying it. It might be nice to say, oh, yeah, that's a George Washington mask, but you could leave it at that. And that's what they did in the graphic novel. I think for the audience that was sufficient, whereas the movie was not was a more American thing. So they needed to explain who he was. Otherwise, it'd be like, okay, he's just wearing a mask, whatever. I didn't feel like the original Guy Fox V in the novel, V in the movie, or what people do today wearing that mask, I don't feel like any of them are exactly... Of course, they're not fighting the exact same issue, but I don't even feel like they're facing the same kind of governmental force. Um, The original Guy Fawkes had... He felt he had been lied to. Um, V, in the novel, is fighting against... He's fighting to restore our integrity. V, in in the movie, is just fighting against a very specific regime. And people wear it now... I think because they're doing something political in November. Like, it, it wasn't really very clear. So I, it's just interesting how it's become something very different. But we want to know what you think. What do you think of all of the mask and every other symbol we talked about? Do you think the movie does it better? Do you think the book does it better? What do you think about its portrayal of each? 
head over to facebook.com forward slash versus machine and let us know what you think by writing on our wall. V's intent. In the book, his intent is broad and significant. In the movie, his intent is chaotic, unnerving, and not altogether. As I said before in the, in the book, it's sometimes unclear. In the very beginning, it's unclear what V's, what his goal is. It becomes very clear later on that it's he's talking about a very specific topic, our loss of integrity, but he's not just talking about the specific people in London in the world of the book, how they've lost their integrity. At one point, he like hijacks the the radio station, and he plays his own little video. It's, it was actually the TV station. He's broadcasting it to everybody's television set, and it's this big, long thing, not about how us right here have lost our integrity. It's about how you, as humanity, have lost your integrity. And that's why we've had these ludicrous leaders put in place like Hitler and Stalin. And you've let them come to power. You haven't stopped them. That's a problem. And that, that's, that's his intent throughout the book. And that's, it's, it's pretty clear later on that in, that's what he's getting at. In the movie, his intent's not really clear. It's not really focused. And it's kind of just like I'm going to take vengeance for what happened to me i'm going to uncover a conspiracy plot and i'm going to kill everybody that gets in my way yeah and that kind of seems to be how it feels and where it went with the whole thing and so his intent is completely misconstrued the entire time during the movie and it's it's really kind of strange because you go from especially if you as we did, you read the graphic novel and mm-hmm. then you watched the movie. Yep. You go, this doesn't fit together no. at all. It's it's not the same thing at all. It's not just his intent that's different. It's how his intent affects every person in the story is completely different. It's how Evie yep. acts. It's how Finch acts. Mm-hmm. It's how the leader acts. Right. His intent is completely different, and it completely changes the entire way the story functions. Right, and the significance, it, it changes everything within the story, and it changes its significance outside of its its own covers, outside of its own borders. I'm not sure that you know either one has a real clear grasp. I think, and I told you this before, I think V's intent, especially in the book, is lost. I think in the movie, movie. we know, no, in the book, it's lost. In the movie, we know what they want to say. In the book, if you're not, in the book, if you're not well-read like you or I, I think you will miss a lot of the meat and a lot of the subtleness of what's going on. And I think that the difference between the two is literally just, the movie was made for people who don't want to think as hard and the book was made for people who want to think really hard. Yeah. But we're going to move on to some themes. Integrity. Valerie was the in in Lark Hill. Valerie was the one in room 4, V was in room 5. She gave him a note that she'd written on toilet paper and the most important other than giving her own biography, the important part of it was her talking about integrity. How it's really just an inch of ourselves. It's small and it's fragile, and it's the only thing in the world that's worth having. We must never lose it or sell it or give it away. We must never let them take it from us. People can take your life. They can kill you. They can take away your freedom. They can throw you in jail. 
They can take away your dignity by humiliating you, but they can't take away your integrity. You have to give it away. And that was V's whole thing. He said, this was, when I got this letter, it, it changed my life. It set him in the course that that he ends up taking as V. Just the integrity being the most important thing we have. We've given it away. We need to get it back. And integrity is so monumentally important. And the movie does miss it. I mean, it I does. mean, honestly, the movie misses it. Does but it even, it's like use the word. I don't think. I don't. Really, I don't think. Other it than does. in her letter, but they don't even focus on it as yeah. much. And I think that integrity is such an important part of this because I don't think. And this is where you and I get into this whole thing where people completely misconstrue this entire thing. Yeah. This is not about tyranny. It's not about against oppression. No. It's about bringing back the idea of being able to do as you please within reason. It's right. about living life in a way that's not only pleasing, but good for other people. Yeah. And Valerie makes a big point about that in her letter. And that's what integrity to me is in this. Integrity to me is loving other people and doing the things you want to do and being the being free to do what you want to do. Yeah. And, and it's that fine line between the two right. of them. It's not that it's an easy thing to keep. It's definitely not. In Evie's case when V had put her into this fake prison, it was you can either sign this confession that's a lie and live or you can tell the truth and die. And she's like, I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to stick to what I know is actually the truth. And I'm willing to die for that. And he's like, okay, there's nothing left to threaten you with, so you're free to go. And then and that, that's where she gets to her big revelation, her her transformation. And and her, you know, again, she's the central tenant of the whole story. And yeah. so her transformation in the book is, com important. is completely immortalized in that whole integrity thing. And it's important. Yeah. It is. The book is about freedom. It is about oppression. But... V's argument is that we got into these horrible messes. We got these horrible despotic tyrants to ruin our lives By because losing. we let them. Because we, we gave lost up our integrity. integrity. We gave up our integrity to let them have power, and we were okay with that. Yeah. that that's a big problem. So this the, the central issue is not the oppression. The central issue is the integrity. Fear and bravery. This is not a big thing, and by any means, it's not something that we want to spend a lot of time on, but it is a central tenet of integrity. It is a central tenet of what happens, and it's it's encased completely in that whole thing between Evie and V after he lets her go when he's falsely imprisoned her. Yeah. He talks about how bravery is, in her case, simply just the absence of fear, mm -hmm. the ability to have the integrity to not have fear. And to have the integrity to not be afraid of doing the right thing. Right. And that's a central tenet of what's going on here. It, yeah. it, it, and, and while we've talked about bravery and the bravery to stand up for your beliefs, V's bravery is not standing up for his beliefs. V's bravery is to have the integrity to continue to believe in what's right no matter how unpopular it is. No, yeah, no matter how hard it becomes. And his right is not a political belief. His his right is not marijuana should be legalized or <laughs> something something that he believes is okay. His right is people should be allowed to live and people should be allowed to thrive in their own in their own ways within the reason of they're not hurting someone else. Yeah, so I, Evie in early in the book is saying I'm 
I'm so afraid. I'm just scared of everything. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what to do or how to really live. Then after he puts her through this horrible ordeal, she does come out of it. You know, she, as he says, he's like, you faced your death and you were calm. You were able to face it bravely. Yeah, try to feel now what you felt then. And then she's able to to have her breakthrough. So it's just getting rid of that fear by holding on to your integrity. Uh, it's a pretty powerful scene. The power of our government versus the actions of our people. This is a lesson that we want to put out to you. Richard and I are the type of podcasters, every time we come here, we want to give you something to take away from this. And our takeaway from this, you don't need to fight your government in order to make your point or have integrity. And people take that away from this this graphic novel and the movie is that you need to fight your government to take away, you know, to, to have the integrity. You don't need to fight your government. You just need to make sure that you're continuing to live in a way where your voice is heard. Yeah. Write your letters. Make your speeches. Don't take a gun into the middle of the streets and shoot a whole bunch of people. Right. That's not what he's calling for at all. And people think that conflict is how V is trying to solve this equation and i can i can tell you and you can disagree with me if you want richard i can't i can say that that's the only way he could have dealt with that dealt with that situation and in the history of my 25 years of life i've never seen a governmental situation in which it takes armed conflict in order to fix problems you're saying you've never seen one where that's the only solution yes that's the only solution perhaps um, I mean, not in this country. Oh, sure, right. In, yeah. in other countries across the world, possibly, but possibly. not in not in our country. No. And I don't think I think if you're out there listening to us right now and you think that stockpiling guns and fighting against the government is the way to make yourself and inte have integrity, you're completely wrong. <laughs> I believe you're quite a bit off base. How anarchy equals freedom. Anarchy is a big deal. In the novel, in the movie, it's a huge deal. In the movie, they talk a lot about how anarchy happens and everything turns into anarchy. People get killed randomly, and people take away from this and think that V is an anarchist. Right. I don't think V is an anarchist at all. I think that, and uh, I'm sure you have the quote ready. He doesn't even want anarchy. He wants right. to skip straight over anarchy into what comes after anarchy. Right after he's basically demolish the government they don't their their cameras are gone nobody can watch the people anymore so there's there's basically there's no tyranny anymore basically chaos starts to happen there's riots everywhere and evie's really confused about it it's like all this riot and uproar is this anarchy is this what you wanted and he says no anarchy means without leaders not without order with anarchy comes an age of ordnung of true order, which is to say voluntary order. We're not being ordered around by the government. We're not being told you have to do this. There's a curfew of this time, and if you're not, then you're liable to get raped or something. Like that's that's crazy. That's he's not looking for the opposite of that. He's looking for just let people have the freedom to do what they believe is right. Let them have their own their own lives, their own freedom, their own integrity. You don't have to in, in, impose so much such a strict iron grip on them yeah and the 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 top the topic subject you know the sentence that we used how anarchy equals freedom is actually ironic for us because anarchy doesn't equal freedom you're not free during anarchy 
you're in a chaotic state where you're almost bound to fear during anarchy because you don't know what's going to happen next. Anarchy's not freedom. Anarchy is chaos. Freedom comes after we've decided how to go from anarchy to a civilized and structured life. Right. The riots in the street, that was what V is like, once I do this, that's what's going to happen. But afterwards, once these things have run their course, then we'll get to anarchy where there's not leaders, but the people will be leading themselves. This chaos is not what he's looking for. Yeah. It's just not having tyranny anymore. Alan Moore's movie hate. (laughs) Now... Just hate of this one, really. Well, he hates all of them. He hates every adaptation of any of his works in general. His exact quote about this movie was, The movie has turned into a Bush-era parable by people too timid to set a political satire in their own country. It's a thwarted and frustrated and largely impotent American liberal fantasy of someone with American liberal values standing up against a state run by neoconservatives, which is not what the comic V for Vendetta was about. It was about fascism, it was about anarchy, and it was about England. That's his exact quote. That's pretty harsh. Wow. And I don't disagree with him. I don't disagree that we kind of we took the meat out of this. We took the meat out of the entire thing, and we kind of destroyed it. And to a certain extent, that's what we did. You and I talked about this during Watchmen, and we talked about this during here. And it's an important point for us. We don't always like to judge the things that we run through the machine, but it's an important point for us to mention to you that you're dealing with two completely different stories, especially when you're talking Alan Moore. When you're talking Alan Moore comic versus Alan Moore movie, it's two completely different stories, and you're dealing with two completely different set of morals and values and an outcome that's completely different. Right. With an adaptation, there's things are going to be different. That's, that's inevitable, unless the creator of the original source also made the adaptation, but that's fairly rare. Even then, there's, there's still differences. And it's, you know, did they get the point is, is a big question with any sort of adaptation. I'm of the strong opinion if the the creator of the source views the adaptation and says it's wrong, I think that's largely all you really need to know about the adaptation. I the movie and on it the adaptation on its own might be okay. I thought V for Vendetta on its own. On its own merits, not it being an adaptation, it was alright. But as an adaptation, yes, I agree with what Alan Moore said. Maybe not quite as strongly do I agree with it, but the fact that it's off base is it's undeniable the land of do as you please versus the land of take what you want uh we talked about this a little bit in the anarchy equals freedom thing and we're coming back to it because it's really important the land of of do as you please and the land of take what you want are two completely different things especially in v's mind take what you want is the anarchy do as you please is his ultimate goal Yes. And take what you want literally turns into a society where we have what is essentially the, was the L.A. riots where people break open shops, steal TVs, yeah. take what they want. They kill each other, beat each other, everything. Yeah, they, and they do, do what they please, but they have absolutely no morals about it. Yeah. They're just rioting and being chaotic and uncivilized and crazy and do as you please as a society where and i talked to you about this there's a philosopher named nozick who believes that we would all get together and decide the things that we all think are good and choose a you know rank structure where we can control those things 
And I think that's where V's mind goes. He goes to this Close kind to of that, yeah. he goes to this kind of idea where you can do what you want. Yes, two people can do whatever they want as long as that what they're doing isn't hurting someone else. Yep. But there still needs to be some kind of order or understanding between the people. Otherwise, we're back to you own a shop, Richard, and so I'm going to break open your window and steal televisions because you're not going to stop me anyway. So. Right. Because then it's just a more chaotic version of survival of the fittest. I'm going to do what my want, what I want, because you can't stop me. I don't really know of anybody who wants that, except maybe somebody who's really physically strong, and maybe has a lot of friends. But that that's definitely not what V's going for. I don't. He's not going for chaos. He's just going for just a place where there's there's no there's no leaders. Not that there's no order or no morals, just no leaders. There's a big difference there. And if you are out there right now and you've watched V for Vendetta or you've read V for Vendetta and you believe that the land of take what you want is the correct thing and that means that you believe, well, I should be able to do drugs and, you know, drive a car drunk and everything else that... Rob people. Yeah. If you think that that's the world that someone or anyone would advocate to you, you're completely off base. (laughs) And I and I think you need to take a second look at everything that's here and see that no one should advocate a society like that because it's not safe. <laughs> no, I mean nothing's gonna get done. It's just chaos and riots. No one no one can be safe, no one can do anything. I mean you're stuck in you're stuck in a uh play of 12 angry men where none of the jurors can agree with each other forever because no one will ever make a decision because there is no structure to make a decision yeah that's that's not what we're looking for how this applies to today and why v will live on forever we've talked a lot about how you can take the lessons in v for vendetta and apply them to your everyday life Mm -hmm. and how you can take the lessons you know, and we talked about how people still wear the mask today and they still celebrate the 5th of November and they still think that they understand the point of this and they're completely off base. And V will live on forever simply because there will always be a situation in which someone wants to rebel against something. Yeah. And they will always hijack the thing that they think they understand to rebel against it. Now, how it actually applies to today is... Take away the integrity piece, that really important integrity piece that we talked about, where you have the integrity to say what you feel and think what you want. And you do it in a way that doesn't hurt anyone. Right. Because I don't think V as a person would have hurt anyone if he thought he didn't have to. And I think you need to, you know, whether you're religious or you're not religious or you're a liberal, conservative, no matter what you are, be free and feel free to speak your mind and to have an opinion, but have it respectfully. Right. And have it with your fellow man in the hierarchy that your fellow man can set up with you and your with with you. And understand that we all want something good. And the only way to have the integrity to have something good is to say what we feel. But don't say it in a way if you happen you don't have to be to say it with bombs and guns. Yeah. If you if you happen to be, you know, religious, you don't have to pull out a gun and try to shoot a gay person because you think God hates gays. 
And if you and yeah. in the the opposite way, if you're gay and you don't like religious people, you don't have to go beat them up because they don't agree with you. Yeah. Everyone has an opinion and they have a right to their opinion. Have the integrity to a state your opinion yeah, and don't b sacrifice it and b respect that other people have this have a different opinion than you. Yeah. Integrity goes both ways, not just one. Right. And. A piece that Valerie says is something you have to take away, and that is, I do not know you, but simply because you're alive, I love you. Yeah. That is one of the most important phrases in the entire graphic novel. It's one of the most important phrases in a lot of the literature I've read in my life, and it's something that resonates in me in a way that I don't think I'll ever think the same way again about other people, just for simply that phrase that... Yeah. Just because you are alive, I love you. No matter what your politics are, no matter what you think, I love you because you're alive. And if we as a people spent more time embodying that, I think we would be a lot better off. But we want to know what you think. We want to know if you think this whole podcast has helped you in some way or if you think that we're wrong and we don't understand the point or whatever you think that about anything that you've heard today. Head over to the Facebook presence at facebook.com forward slash versus machine and let us know what you think. We want to hear from you on our wall. But that does it here for us at the Versus Machine podcast this time. We've had a lot of fun today with V for Vendetta and we've had a lot of deep thought, but we want to make sure that we reach out to you and tell you to go do your homework. Go read it. Yeah. Go watch the movie and let us know what you think. As always, I'm Joseph Burge. I'm Richard Gibson. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Versus Machine Podcast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Be sure to like us on Facebook and share your thoughts on this and other episodes inside our online archive of programs that span a wide variety of genres. It's all about comparison, and we want to know what you think. The links to do all of this and show notes for this episode are available at versusmachinepodcast.com. That's versusmachinepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and provide us with your thoughts and contrasting opinions to keep the gears of the Versus Machine running. Power down.